Gilgamo will sit back and watch your art. It's their duty just doing their part. Now let's hear if they recommend it or not. Uh, no budget nightmares. No budget nightmares. No budget nightmares. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. And that's Mo Pawn, yeah. yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug Tilly, bow, 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 number one super bow, guy. Bow, bow, bow. Yes, Mo, we are here, our second episode of 2015, and yep, one, yep, yep. one that I'm entirely convinced we're only going to have to record once. <laughs> well, let's hope. Yeah, let's let's. By the way, Mo, uh, what uh, what physical ailment are you suffering from this time? I've, <laughs> I've still got a little uh, something going on in my lung, so if mm-hmm. I laugh too hard, I probably will cough a lot. So that's no awesome. worries there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, my knee is killing me. So sit- sitting in this position is actually hurts quite a bit. So uh, so you know, just the overall uh, fun fun experience. Good, for me use today. it. Yeah, I'm gonna use. I'm gonna use this one. Use the pain. Use the sickness. Uh, but I think you you sound better than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel great. I just have there's just a little something in my lungs. You know, nothing major. Just Except for the it. persistent pain that I'm with all yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah. Except for the constant <laughs> agonizing pain that I'm always in. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're feeling uh, better. I guess <laughs> because uh, we're talking about a movie today on No Budget Nightmares. That is, we've been waiting for it for a really long time. We have been. I mean, it, it, not only have we been waiting for it, but I think a lot of fans of Shot on Video and Ultra Low Budget and Micro Budget Movie Making have been waiting for it for a while as well. And it is the all-star compendium of Shot on Video kind of auteurs uh, all together making a, um, a, a compilation film. What's the word I'm looking for? Anthology. Anthology film, a portmanteau. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I can pull that fucking word out. I know, right? Uh, and that is High 8, uh, which has just recently gotten uh, sort of a wide release. And so it is available for all of you to check out right now. But yeah, we're going to be talking about High 8 today. And yeah, it's exciting. Though uh, both Mo and I, I, I think, have a lot of really interesting... <laughs> Sort of uh, maybe controversial things to say about it in some ways. I don't know how controversial. I mean, boobs. Boobs? There are boobs in it. There, there are. Uh, Though those are going to be controversial as well in some ways. Yeah, I was going to say, at least one set is. <laughs> Before, wow, what's that supposed to mean? Uh, it just means that I'm an asshole. It's just all it means. I'm a terrible human being. And On I the I Dream of Dracula scale. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll give him credit. Every set of boobs in this film is way better than, than I Dream of Dracula. So. I feel like we're getting away from the topic we're, we are We are seriously going down the wrong path here. Let's... Let's get back on the road. Before we dig into those titties. <laughs> 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 
before we dig into those, uh, I do want to mention something. Just recently, uh, we launched a Patreon campaign yes. for No Budget Nightmares. And uh, for those who don't know what that is, a Patreon campaign basically allows you to sponsor us in some small way, meaning that every time we provide a piece of content, in this case an episode of No Budget Nightmares, that you would then provide uh, a certain amount of money uh, for that. And that money would also be able to purchase something in this case in that there are rewards that you can get uh depending on the level of contribution now you know it's too bad it's too bad that it, that we don't get paid every time i produce a jerry angel photoshop <laughs> well maybe at some point in the future but the reason we started this campaign is that we i mean we we still have to to do hosting costs. We yeah. are hoping to improve some of the technology in terms of uh, sound quality that can allow us to get more content out there. I want to leave it open to the idea of doing videos in the future, that sort of thing. You know, yeah. we really want to kind of expand the operation a little bit, and we're looking for your help in doing that. So if you want to check right. that out, uh, you can look us up on the Patreon website. Of course, you can go over to our Facebook group, which, by the way, has been booming lately. Just in the last couple of weeks, tons of people joining up on the Facebook group. It's pretty awesome. It's yeah. pretty awesome. And and uh, I've been trying to kind of engage people on sort of a deeper level. Uh, and also, I think, I'll be honest, Mo, I think this episode is going to get people talking. I hope so. Uh, maybe not in the best. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so are you like the Jean-Luc Picard of, uh, of the show? Yeah. Engage. No, I'm not like that at all. Good, good. <laughs> then I would have had to have made, make fun of you even more. T, Earl Grey. Earl Grey. Hot. Hot. Very good. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, but I also wanted to mention, because we did launch that camp campaign, we haven't pushed it too hard yet, but we're going to push it harder, uh, push it real good, <laughs> as Salt and Pepper once said. Hard. <laughs> uh, we actually have a couple of people who have already signed up and have uh, gracefully and gratefully uh, contributed to the, the recording of this show. Yeah, this beautiful content you've been experiencing so far is brought to you by uh, friends of the show, Leslie Lawrence. By the letter C and the number seven. That's right. By friends of the show, Leslie Lawrence and uh, Tanya Atomic, uh, both uh, wonderful to contribute to that uh, level and also have uh, contributed over on the No Budget Nightmares group as well. Really great, kind, wonderful, compassionate, interesting, intelligent, beautiful. I mean, really, I could go on. But, Weren't you uh, supposed to mispronounce one of their names? Or I, th I think I might have. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, they they deserve uh, recognition for Absolutely. helping us out. But also, they, they even outside of this financial support, they've always been very supportive of the show. So you That's should check true. out, uh, well, you should check out our group, and you can thank them in person. And uh, with Tanya, I know she has uh, some, some terrific films that you can check out, some that I uh, have actually covered on the Daily Grindhouse uh, No Budget Nightmares column. In fact, I did an interview with her about a year and a half ago, I think. So you can check that out as well. Ooh, a la dee da, Mr. Fancy Pants. So yeah, get over to our Patreon <laughs> account and uh, and you can sign up and maybe get yourself some perks. Not just being mentioned on this show, but all sorts of fancy things, including getting to choose a movie to be covered on No Budget Numbers. Could even be your own. You know, it's happened before. Man, I cannot wait to cover Titanic. <laughs> if someone wants us to cover Titanic, we'll cover Titanic. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> uh, or Grown Ups 2. Take a, take a note from someone else's podcast. Jesus Christ, let's not give these guys any ideas. <laughs> Mo. Yeah. Hi, 8. Hi, 8. Uh, hi, Mo. Hi, 8. Hello, uh, hi, 8. Boy. <laughs> 
Someone's paying for this to come out. <laughs> Poor bastards. Okay, so this is an anthology film where uh, my understanding is, and and please, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, that this was uh, originally, yeah, this originally was an idea, a kind of a general concept uh, that Tim Ritter came up with, uh, but but him in conjunction with Brad Sykes, they brought it to life, and Brad Sykes was sort of the uh, the person who captained a lot of the concept and 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 kind of brought these different artists together. Uh, Tim Ritter, of course, director of Truth or Dare, uh, which we've covered on a previous episode, good friend of the show as well. Um, And so the idea was that there would be sort of a set of rules for these experienced uh, shot on video and low budget filmmakers. So like eight rules for, you know, I don't know, say dating their teenage daughter. Hmm, Yes, something like that. Yes, eight rules, Mo. (laughs) Go ahead. Now, (laughs) I'm going to actually... uh, to speak out, speak out. I'm actually going to say what those rules are. What is wrong with you today? <laughs> I'm Canadian. Why am I? Why am I the intelligent one tonight? Come on, man. Well, let's not go nuts. Get on the game. So I'm going to tell you what those eight rules are regarding the each uh, segment of this anthology film, and uh, we'll actually refer back to these sometimes depending on how successful they were. Because honestly, reading over them, there's probably a few of them that don't quite live up to all of these rules yeah well okay so the first one is at the running time uh each short had to be no longer than 10 minutes and no shorter than eight so uh, obviously in, in order to get this thing to the full 90 and in fact it's significantly longer than that uh there was a set time for each filmmaker uh in terms of the format uh they were allowed to choose their weapon be it vhs high eight or digital eight um, or mini DV, no HD, no 1080p, no DSLR. So they had to use the kind of older equipment. In terms of lighting, they could use uh, no more lights than you'd find in a standard three-point lighting kit, uh, and not uh, and not be afraid to use the the sun <laughs> to light as much as possible. Right. The, the cheapest of all light sources. And in terms of camera work. Uh, handheld or tripod only, no dollies or elaborate jib arms or steady cam rigs or that, that sort of thing. Uh, in terms of sound, outboard boom mics were acceptable, uh, but uh, using the onboard mic is also acceptable as long as all dialogue is clearly audible, but wind noise is okay and encouraged for outdoor uh, filming. And, then, and, in, and in one in particular, very well taken advantage of. <laughs> Jesus Christ. In terms of special effects, old school makeup, makeup effects are encouraged. The gore, the merrier. Uh, no CGI, visual effects, green screen of any kind allowed. In terms of editing, uh, edit on whatever program you want, but just keep sound and picture editing relatively basic and simple. Uh, imagine you are cutting on a non-linear system. And finally, the aspect ratio. All shorts must be full screen, 4x3, just like the good old days before real and fake letterboxing. I love fake letterboxing. Well, I mean, it, it, it's been known to happen. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think about these rules, Mo? I mean, what do you think the purpose of them was? And, uh, and do you think that uh, it was a good idea kind of putting these limitations on these directors going in? Well, sure. I mean, it makes sense because uh, obviously the rules are designed to make it feel and, uh, and you know, sort of uh, either imitate or homage, you know, the classic style. I imagine for most of these directors, you know, these limitations weren't too rough because they've all been there before already, you know. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think it worked out well. I think ultimately, I think the ultimate goal was to make it feel as much like a classic shot on video film as possible. And I think for the most part, I think they uh, they all succeeded. You will notice that in terms of the rules, it doesn't refer to content. So uh, it doesn't. They were not telling the various directors and writers, who are sometimes different people, uh, what kind of of 
films they should be making what what sort of what sort of 10 minute short uh, what it should be about and as you'll see we end up getting quite a variety of content once they're all kind of stitched together which explains the love story toward no, I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yes the, the the failed romance um it, so yeah we'll Aren't see they all we'll we'll see how this actually all fits together once once we start digging into it but one of the things that I think both Mo and I wanted to mention before we get into it is the idea that an anthology movie, as you know, I mean, we've covered a few on this show. They're really tough to pull off. They really are. And especially, I, 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 in all honesty, I can't name a single one where I've liked every you know segment in it. And there's it, there's, there's it, always the one or the two or the all of them that suck, you know. And when you have like a. Um, a surrounding story as well. Those are really tough to pull off because of Rap, the, yeah, wraparound the stories are really, really tough to pull off. You know, my favorite wraparound story from any uh, anthology is from Asylum from the early 1970s. Oh uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that that has a really great wraparound story. But I mean, it, it, even in that one, the the individual stories themselves are really inconsistent in terms of quality. And uh, whether it be those old Amicus or or Hammer anthologies, most of them they have like one great story. Story or maybe even one and a half great stories, but yeah, uh, yeah there's it, the consistency is difficult. And over the last couple of years, there's been a lot more anthologies. We're we're kind of in a new golden age of horror anthologies with VHS. With well, the... you know, you, well, you know why though? I mean, yeah, like VHS, ABCs of Death. Right. Uh, you know, um, yeah, no, but you know why though? I think is because it's a lot easier. I think for filmmakers to go out say with a $5,000 limit limitation, which I think is what VHS did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and go out there and just work within the limitations and make a nice short with it. Uh, and, and I think it's a lot easier for to do that than to say, go out and try to get the funding for a full, you know, for a full length film and do it that way. Um, but what I, but getting back to the point before about the the wraparound stories, we'll get back to where we are now in a second. I think I kind of tend to like more along the uh, like the tales from the crypt or the or the right. body bags, you know, kind of style where the wraparound is really just you know a host character kind of introducing the next segment. Right. I think those always tend to work really well when you try to build a story that wraps around all the other stories. They they just get muddled. They get really bad. And I've yet to really encounter one that I've truly enjoyed. And, I mean, there's a lot of different segments in this particular yeah. movie. So each time that we cut back to the wraparound, the idea is that it really needs to have a series of peaks leading into each one of these stories. Right, right. But, it, which, I mean, this one, it just doesn't do it. it really, it, it is not. just a story that kind of just stops, starts, stops, starts as we get through. Yeah. Which is okay. I mean, I, yeah, it's okay, and I understand what he was trying to go for, but I mean, ideally, you know, the wraparound story should be the very last thing you come up with once you have all the other materials in place so that you could do something, you know, that leads into each story, and it just, that's not what happened anyway. So, I mean, so getting right into that, I would, I, I like, I hated the wraparound story on this. It's just... <laughs> You know, no offense, no offense. I know that uh, who was it? it was Brad Sykes Brett, did the yeah. wraparound story, right? You know, and he and he put the work into it. You know, I mean, the story itself, it if it had been sort of, uh, you know, combined into one short in and of itself, I probably wouldn't have minded it so much. But because it's just stop, start, stop, start, it, I just could not. I for me, it was just getting away from 
you know, the other storylines and slowing and slowing the whole thing down. Now, one other thing about High Eight that we should mention is that this is a movie that a lot of people listening have not seen or have just just seen or are just about to see because it has been such a recent release. Uh, we might not right. go into quite as much detail in regards to each individual story. It probably I'm going to go into details for every second of the film. <laughs> well, I mean, considering how kind of tight the, these ten minutes are because they have to tell a full story in those ten. Uh, right. You know, we're we're we're, we're going to talk about each one. We're going to give a, it a good go over, but uh, I just don't want to to possibly uh, offend all of these filmmakers who are at this well, point I was gonna say, trying yeah, to yeah. Uh, to market it, right? Right, exactly. So yeah, this is probably the first time where we we probably won't go into crazy detail with each one because. I mean, how rarely do we have the situation where we can actually ruin something for someone? <laughs> Though that said, I know both Mo and myself have taken a ridiculous amount of notes for this. <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah. So let's talk about High Eight. Uh, our expectations going in, I think, were actually fairly high, by the way. I mean, this was the all-star group. And one other thing about those uh, those rules that they had to follow, one of the things we mentioned uh, in the episode last episode going into this was the idea of this is an interesting opportunity to see where these directors are now in terms of their right, skills. Right, but that's absolutely. you don't really get a chance to do that uh, because they're, they're intentionally being sort of handicapped. They're intentionally being held back. So... Uh, right. If if we are not necessarily entirely positive about uh, some of these, it, I I don't want to see it as a reflection on the filmmakers who were going into it knowing that they they couldn't kind of give it their their all in terms of their technical ability. Well, in all honesty, I mean, like we we never uh, shoehorn a director into like into judging them based on just their one film. That's true. You know, we yeah, we never do that. I, I, like there there's no director with the exception of one in particular who. <laughs> Who, uh, <laughs> we who never I'll, do it except for just one person. Just, there's that one director who <laughs> I'll never watch another fucking movie they ever make. But, um, but I mean, anybody else, even like, even if fucking like, you know, Uno Dos wanted to make another fucking oh, movie. Oh man, I would, I yeah, would be I jumping would jump for joy. I would jump all over that shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did try to get him on the show at one point. In we our... did try. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so so please don't take if we uh, like or dislike your short. I mean, I'm sure we're going to disagree on some of these as well, which is half half of the fun. Probably of it. not. <laughs> we do tend to agree a lot, which is very strange. <laughs> so speaking of that, okay, let's talk about High Eight. It starts with actually um, uh, a really great kind of warning that's filmed from a television screen. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, we. This is a celebration. This movie is a celebration of the kind of people who already like these kind of movies. So exactly. I, I don't need to tell you that there's going to be uh, organ meat ripped out of someone's stomach and how kind of silly that would look because we love it. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Uh, and so, yeah, so we have the uh, Twisted Illusions logo, the Nightfall Pictures logo, and then we jump into the opening credits. And it's nice. It's a really nice, uh, nicely done with good. Surprisingly good. Yeah. yeah. The, the opening credits were really, really well done. I liked the music in the opening credits. I thought the uh, the uh, effects and like, like how they did it, I thought it was great. I thought the graphics were really cool. Yeah, it's really well done. And I like the music a lot. And I do say that, that the opening credits do... Uh, start something that's that I have an issue with in regard to the movie in that I had to I had a hard time finding out 
who directed what until I got to the closing credits. Yeah. Like nothing has an not that we necessarily wanted what was that movie that we watched, that anthology where each section had its own opening and closing credits. Oh right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but considering that this is meant to be a celebration of these individual directors and their own styles, I think it would have been nice to to get a sense of who was directing what. I think what... each segment should have opened up with I with just I mean, just a quick little title thing that said the name of the segment and who directed it. Yeah. That would have been fine. But we will tell you because we're the kind of people who do that level of research. Amen. <laughs> now, the one thing I did notice in the opening credits is that somebody in this film is named Ford Windstar. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, hmm, didn't I used to drive one of those? <laughs> Other than that, you know. Perfectly. A lot, of, a lot of recognizable names, a lot of names that you a lot of people have been dying to see together. So yeah. it's kind of cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's great to see Tim Ritter's name, you know, and then fucking Todd Sheets' name right there. It or is. Ron or Ron Bonk. Or, you know, like these guys who, you know, who who you already kind of love their movies and now you get to see them all sitting yeah. right there. This is know? the Justice League of American Shot. It on really video is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> uh so we do go right into the wraparound segment. Now let's explain what the wraparound is. It actually is like a teenager or a guy in his early 20s making a shot on video like a throwback horror film well i like i like the way you had described it like a like a johnny dickey type yeah they, they, <laughs> they basically have a johnny dickey type who's out there making a low budget movie with a guy in a skeleton mask and a machete yeah. and a attractive girl in fact they do the they do the the fake out at the beginning where you see the girl jogging and the guy in the skeleton mask jumps out and then they reveal that it's actually a movie that they're making yeah yeah and it you know what would have been great though if it was Johnny Dickey. <laughs> that, would have been, that actually would have been really great. <laughs> Johnny Dickey or Nate Wilson or just some really young guy who obviously has a lot of passion for these kind of movies. Yeah, but that come out and been like, I am Robot Ninja. And, you know. uh, so, so we don't really get, like, there's no real tension in this first section. We're just introduced to these characters. Or uh, any of the others. Or any of the others. But we're going to continually go back to them trying to film parts of these uh, of this kind of slasher movie they're making. Right, right. And speaking of slasher, we go right into the first segment, which is Switchblade Insane. Mm, by Tim Ritter. Tim Ritter, of course, the director of Truth or Dare, Critical Madness, Dirty Cop, No Donut. Uh, Killing guy, Spree. Killing Spree, guy we really love around here. Love Tim Ritter. Uh, now, this movie, tell us about this movie, Mo. Uh, all right, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, Switchblade Insane sort of follows um, this woman who uh, is following her husband as he's uh, abducting, raping, and mutilating women. Right. The uh, what does he call him? The Switchblade Rapist or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great name there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's just right to the point. You know. Some ad the, the switchblade. Like, what should we call this guy? Let's call him the switchblade. It, it's the switchblade butcher, I believe. Oh, is it? Well, I think that's what she says that he's called in the media is the switchblade I don't butcher. Know. I, I wrote down switchblade rapist. I'm pro you're probably right though. Am I probably right or am I certainly right? I don't know. All right. You so, think I just finished this movie? Oh wait. So the idea is, is we see this woman going into her car. She gets attacked by the switchblade rapist slash butcher, <laughs> and then it's actually revealed that they're being watched. By a woman sitting in a car, and we get a lot of voiceover where she explains uh, what her relationship is with the killer, and we discover that she is actually uh, his wife. Right. But before that, we get a little taste of what the killer is like. 
And look, I don't want to disparage anybody in this. There's no need for it. Right. But that that being, well, we will anyway. We were so. going to, we're going to anyway because we can't help ourselves. This guy is ridiculous. It's some <laughs> serious overacting in this. <laughs> okay, this is how he goes about attacking. I mean, this is a very serious thing. He's he's attacking. He's going to be murdering and raping, not in that order, uh, a woman. And this is how he kind of uh, introduces himself. <laughs> Hello, lady. Now stop fighting me. You're going to resemble Swiss cheese with all those nasty holes. Now, behave. Oh, behave. <laughs> <laughs> he turns into freaking Austin Powers. At oh, behave. <laughs> to resemble Swiss cheese with all those nasty, nasty holes. <laughs> Thankfully, this guy is not really the, the lead of this piece. It's really the wife because right. it's her voiceover. She starts telling the story about how she discovered who her husband really was, what his proclivities were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that he would go on business trips, and she ended up finding a box of material that basically, <laughs> it was just in a box. I know they say in the voiceover that it was like well hidden, but it was just like sitting there. Sitting on top of a counter. My favorite part about this whole thing is she's going through this box, and I'm like, lady, now your fingerprints are all over the evidence. <laughs> I like how the switchblade was in there, too. Yeah. Like, oh, back in the box. Okay, hey. <laughs> There's floppy disks. Yeah, floppy disks. <laughs> that should have last forever. Uh, but I mean, that's a throwback thing too. That's timeless, timeless uh, technology, right there. <laughs> so, uh, so the idea is that she discovers what he is doing and decides that she is going to. Uh, before she can go to the police, she needs to really see him in action. I don't see why you need that. I mean, you do have a big box of evidence. Yeah, right. <laughs> but she has this great line when she goes, "Our our relationship has gotten complicated." R- really. <laughs> so. When she uh, she ends up following him when he uh, tracks down a woman and he captures her and he ties her up and uh, she confronts him and when she confronts him by the way we're gonna get some more of this beautiful dialogue from him let's have, let's have a listen I can't help myself and there must be some punishment for the betrayal you cause <laughs> not yeah. overacting not at all. well that's what he's going for I love it I love it so. The, the wife, Gail, uh, she ends up confronting him, and he's very surprised at first. But then what happens? Um... Let me tell you what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's carving the word Jezebel into the woman's stomach. Uh, not the wife, the, the person he's captured. And she, uh, he, he gives her the knife and, says that, and asks her to cut as well. And as she does, she, uh, she comes all over the place. Yeah, she orgasms. She like orgasms. Can 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 I? Did, did you notice something about the woman who's lying on the table? Mm, no, she's not tied down at oh, really? all. Well, so <laughs> look, look. What are you trying gonna, to tell me? <laughs> if you're gonna have a Dexter-style clean room, you should probably tie the person down so they can't just oh I don't know run away. Well, as we'll see, these little. <laughs> issues that you're talking about aren't going to be a big deal in the long run well true <laughs> so she because she decides to orgasm <laughs> instead of uh getting really angry about things she uh she decides to join up with her husband and to join the cause and help him out in this uh you know this is this is like a therapy for them and in fact they use that old tired line a family that slays together stays together <sighs> but then mo Yes. We discover that there's a big twist. 
Is it really a big twist? I mean, I guess it is. Well, maybe. I don't know how far we should get into this twist, but let's... Yeah, we shouldn't. I don't think we should give away the twist at all. I don't think uh, we should give away any of the big twists. Okay. Yeah, that's except, a... except maybe the shitty one in the wraparound story. Yeah, with the idea that some of the directors of these might actually be listening to this. Yeah, let's uh, not give away the ending of their fucking let's, movie. Let's not give away <laughs> all of their shit. I will say, the twist, I had some problems with it because some of it I, I didn't understand, but that's probably because I'm stupid. Yeah, I just realized that, like, I had a big reference I wanted to make about this one, but I can't even say it because if I make the reference, they're immediately going to know what the twist is. So I'll just shut my big mouth and Mm -hmm. just let it go. The listeners appreciate your... uh, Shutting of my big mouth. The shutting of your big, stupid mouth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I added the stupid part. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the, but that then this segment just uh, sort of comes to an end after the twist, which we're not giving away. But what did you think of this segment, Mo? Um, you know, I, I'm not gonna lie. I love Tim Ritter, but I really did expect better. Uh, the, the, he was uh, like there were three directors in particular whose whose segments I was particularly interested in, and uh, and, and Tim Ritter's was one of them. And I I, I just you know, I thought it was okay. I thought it was one of the, I mean, it's not the worst one in the film, but it's not in my top three. It, well, well, we'll actually rank in some way uh, when we complete the movie, which what are, what is our favorite and least favorite segments. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you to a great extent, though I, I will say that I liked that this one had kind of a full concept to it. They, right, exactly. At least at, at the very least, this one was a full story, a full idea. Yeah. Because there's definitely other ones that aren't. Yes. And this, this is what makes this so interesting, by the way. This in particular, not all anthologies, but Hyatt in particular. Because yeah. you need to visualize... Okay, someone says we're putting together this anthology, so start you know start piecing together a ten minute segment for it, and uh, and this reminds me in some ways of of ABC's The Death too, where some people they take it super seriously. You can tell they put a lot of time into the concept and the script and making sure that they had all the pieces together, and then other people it's like they they, they toss it off in a fight. <laughs> I'm just gonna shoot this duck. <laughs> Which I hate to laugh. I I, I can't even talk because that's actually one of my favorite ones. That one's really good. And in fact, that's not quite... I was thinking more... Well, I don't want to tear into someone on the ABC's of Death. But some of them were really half-assed. Oh, you mean like uh, fucking... uh, Ty West. Yeah, I was talking about Ty West. Yeah, Ty West. (laughs) (laughs) So we go back to the teens. Remember those teens? Connecticut's own Ty West. What? <laughs> the, the teens are back in the now they're oh, yeah. like a back shoot, to the wraparound. They're shooting the horror movie around these caves, or they uh, they're they're kind of man-made caves for a, a, an abandoned zoo. Bears. Yeah, there might be bears, and there'll, then there'll be bears. Uh, you know the thing the thing about this is this is this is the the bit of the wraparound where they start to allude to some things that actually could have been very interesting. <laughs> you know. And they never really pan out. They start talking about some bad guy who's, uh, you know, who's uh, lives in there, and there have been people who have been dying, and and this, that, and the other. And I, I, just, it could have been like, you know, like it could have been more menacing. It could have been done a little more interestingly. I just, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I, I hate the fact that every time we go back to this wraparound story, I'm gonna have to talk more shit about it. <laughs> I, I really do. I don't feel nice. I don't feel good doing that. But it's because. Of the way it's set up and how like not good it is, I I, I have to, I have to, I have to. <laughs> you know? I, one thing I will say about that wraparound is this movie would would have lost nothing if they just 
put the pieces like these individual segments in order and had no wraparound. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see how it's improved by the wraparound at all. Right, right. I mean, I guess the only way I could see it is that is a, an explicitly a celebration of shot on video filmmaking. So sure, to right. that element, yes, but it would have been. I guess it would have meant a little bit more if the production they were doing looked like it had any quality to it at all. Right, <laughs> I mean, right. they were literally just three people shooting a, a girl, very attractive young woman, um, running around from, from running away from a guy with a skull mask on. Basically, that's what horror has devolved to. Yeah. Segment number two is called a very bad situation. <laughs> this one starts off awesome. This one's directed by Marcus Koch, or Koch, uh, also written by him. And uh, Marcus is actually most well-known for doing special effects for other low-budget productions, but he's directed a few of his own, 100 Tears. Uh, I think he did a segment in Snuff Perversions back in 1999. Nice. Uh, but uh, but this... It's interesting to... And I'm, I'm going to keep saying it's interesting, but it's interesting it's to see interesting. where the influence... Where, like, some of these guys, some of these directors, they decide to go dip into... The kind of movies that were made on video, but other others are sort of more influenced by like Twilight Zone. Others are more yeah. influenced by Tales from the Crypt, and you can really feel that while you're watching it. This mm. one is more explicitly like a Twilight Zone-ish thing, uh, yeah. and it really does feature a bad situation. But before we get to a bad situation, we have the best situation. We have an appearance <laughs> by Joel Weinkoop. Any appearance by Joel Weinkoop just makes the film absolutely. Uh, sadly, instead of being in the the actual story he's a weatherman it's so weird that like you know that they decide to film the tv with him on it you know like i don't know why they couldn't have just put that on the screen i mean i well they i, I think they they do switch they to, do yeah. at some point but i mean like they start with him you know uh, film them just filming a television and i thought that was a bad artistic choice <laughs> But the use of Joel Weinkoop was not a bad choice. I thought that was great. Because he's so, like, animated and ridiculous. You know, he just he makes everything that much more fun. Yeah, he did make me wish he had a larger part in one of these other stories. You know what he would have been great as? As the husband in the, in the Tim Ritter one. Yeah, you know what? Absolutely. Though maybe you know, honestly, since we the two audio clips we had were that guy being ridiculous, maybe maybe he brought more to it than I'm willing to admit. <laughs> That's true. Speaking of audio clips, let's listen to a bit of Joel the Weatherman, aka Skip Wilson. Yeah. Uh, tonight there is going to be a meteor shower that you are not going to want to miss. All you have to do is step outside your house tonight, look to the northwest, look over that direction, you're going to see a gorgeous, gorgeous meteorite shower. You'll never be able to see it. It'll be 200 years before this thing passes again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that... it, it kind of cracks me up that like that like all weathermen have to be named Skip. You know, <laughs> like like it, it now it, over the... to Skip. Yeah, right. Because in I don't know when I was growing up, our local weatherman was actually named Skip Church, which I always thought was a really funny <laughs> name. Was yeah. that his actual name? That was his actual name. He actually lived like three blocks from me, so I hung out with his son all the time. But it just cracked me up that like his real name was Skip Church. Did his son also have a comical name based on his last name? His, his no, no. His son was named Casey, so it's not not Casey that. Church. Casey mm. Church doesn't work for me it would have been better if it was jc that's <laughs> eh, not bad yeah. so uh you can get from that audio clip sort of the setup for what we're dealing with here there's a meteor shower uh we actually after it it leaves joel weinkoop as the weatherman it it clicks around to different channels that are talking about this meteorite and then mm -hmm. it actually shows 
some clips of the meteorite. Uh, it looks like some of them are, the, are that Russian meteorite from a couple of years ago. <laughs> so I think there's actual footage of that. But it works really well. Like the idea yeah. that, that you can see that the um, things devolving into some sort of panic as these meteorites hit. But we don't know as it gets into the action what, they're actu- what th- these meteorites are actually causing. Right, exactly. Uh, I, there is a great moment where it sort of switches to like the home video, which I'm assuming is probably that Russian meteorite footage. But um, but it's great though because you hear the crashes, you know, and then uh, and then they do a cut back to uh, the first woman you see after um, after uh, Joel's scene, right? And, and she's got like there's like there's a tentacle like. Slithering across her face. You know you that know? might be the eeriest moment of this entire. It really movie. is. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good w- working moment. Now, yeah. the actual segment itself, the 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 bulk of the story involves uh, three people at first in a garage. They're basically hiding from what's going on outside. That we don't know what that is. Just mm. that there's some sort of panic, and yeah. uh, someone ends up knocking on the front of their garage door, asking to be let in. They let him in, and then it starts a conflict between all four of them. See, now, I thought that the idea for this one was really well done. They're not giving you, you know, they're not giving you all of the details of what's happening. You just know there's some kind of panic happening outside. And I thought that the um, the paranoia and the claustrophobia of them being all just stuck in this one room worked Brilliantly, I thought it, I, that was my favorite aspect of this uh, of this entire skit. I hate to hand, I, I hate to like always focus on it. I do feel like the acting let this one down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it always will <laughs> when you're when you're talking about amateur actors. But I, I'm with you. I like the concept, uh, and I liked how little we knew about it. And I like the fact that we could piece it together from some of those clips that we saw, but not right. enough to know why everyone is freaking out so much. Exactly. I did like the first thing the, the axe guy once he gets inside the first thing he uh, asks is how come everyone's hanging out in the um, in the garage instead of inside the house that's attached to it and they right. say that there's something bad's going on in there and he suggests quite reasonably that they should move <laughs> this giant refrigerator they have in front yeah. of the door that leads into that house apparently they just never thought of it and I like how the bald guy who I I don't know if they ever say his name but how, how he's just like that's a really good idea yeah yeah the, well, yeah. You know what? I'm 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 mocking it a little bit, but the idea is they've only been in this garage, or like the, the shit's only been going down for like four hours. Right, right. So so they have really no idea what is happening outside. So you can see how they they might not be the most prepared for what's happening. And this guy has an axe, but they have a gun. Yep. So the big conflict here is that the there's a the bald guy as you just mentioned. There's the axe guy. There's a woman, and then there's a younger woman who has been injured. And right. apparently this. Whatever is going on outside, it it the way that it shows itself is through very similar injuries to what the girl has, and that makes the axe guy very nervous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she said that she was running and she ended up um, she was jumping over a fence and she fell, and that's how she got injured. Mm-hmm. And she decides to express that with words. So let's hear what those words sound like. Well, I'm sorry if my fence jumping skills aren't up to par. I fell. She fell. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably do another take on that particular one. (laughs) But it gets the idea across, I guess. Uh, Again, we're not going to give away how this one ends, though you can probably... It can really only go one of two ways. Uh, Actually, actually, it does have a little twist, actually, on what you might think. 
Yeah, it actually ends with one of my favorite special effects in the entire movie. It's terrific. Like, the special effect is so good. Yeah, it's, it's so good. <laughs> I mean, I want everyone to see it. I, I, I don't want, again, I, it's hard not to give away what happens, but I will say that there's a, it, it's terrific, and it reminds me of another great uh, low-budget movie, uh, The Deadly Spawn. Oh yeah, just briefly, and maybe even the abomination. Uh, if, if 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 we're going that far, but uh, I think yeah, I could see that for for people who know what those two things are, which uh, hopefully would be most people listening to this, you'll get an idea of just how fun the the very ending is. I will say that there's a there's a I mean, considering it's only ten minutes, there's a good four or five minute gap where it's not that engaging, but uh, the ending kind of makes up for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There there are some really this one I will say again, not the best clip uh, uh of the movie, but the feel of it, uh like I said the paranoia, the claustrophobia, it it works really well. Like you said the acting kind of brings it, you know, kind of lets it down a little bit, but uh it's uh, this one is probably like my number 4 favorite of the bunch <laughs> and and I and that final effect is amazing. Yeah. I that's my favorite part. Like this one does what it's exactly supposed to do. It ends on such a good note. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of good note, let's talk about a bad note. Back to the framing Back story. to the wraparound. The, this one, uh, this one in particular, has almost no purpose at all. It's just None. the they're, they're in the cave. Uh, the the actor who's playing the killer in their movie, he mentions he asks the girl if she saw any bodies while she's in this cave, and he's trying to freak her out a little bit. But the, you know, it, it is setting up something, but yeah. it it really is has no purpose at this particular moment. None. But that brings us into one of one of the most interesting uh, for fans of shot on video segments of the entire anthology, and that is the tape. The tape. The tape is directed by uh, Tony Masiello. I hopefully I, I have been butchered that and written. That's how I would have pronounced that. Written yeah. by friend of No Budget Nightmares, Matt Hill, really good friend of No Budget Nightmares, and probably the world's biggest Goblin fan. <laughs> you poor bastard. <laughs> Maybe even the world's biggest Todd Sheets fan. The guy loves him. But Matt is a Matt is a good guy. He uh, he's always been really supportive of us. And this this segment also features uh, dental prosthetics by Johnny Dickey, who we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Again, I love the idea that that it's there are these elements, all these people kind of coming together. Now, uh, Tony, I don't know if Tony has made a lot of low budget movies that have gotten wide release. My understanding from his IMDb profile is that he does a lot of uh, like he works on the 3D transfers of movies, like mm-hmm. like transferring them into 3D. And uh, he also worked on, I believe, he designed the opening credits of this movie. So the guy obviously knows his shit. So yeah. when it comes to the look of this segment, I think we can feel fairly confident that that it's it means to look like it means. Yeah, no, I th- I think this one uh, is definitely in the upper echelon of the uh, uh, of the segments in the film. Um, I love the idea of it, which we'll get into in a second. I love, I, you know, I, the story works. The acting is so hammy. It's great. You know, it starts in a video store. <laughs> Perfect. I, you know what? In terms of the story, I really love that it's both a celebration of the end of the video store era, but also of people who really love shot on video movies and who are obsessives about it. Yeah. So I mean, in ter- I can th- this one I think fits the theme, if you can call it the theme of the movie as a whole, better than most. 
Uh, I think I think it fits what's supposed to be the theme the best. Yes, exactly. And in fact, we are introduced to the story to Tim and Gary. And Gary is a video store owner who is shutting down his store after being in business for 30 years. Yup. Uh, And and, I mean this is a pretty common story And uh, they have a conversation about the fact that Gary was able to kind of outlast some of his competitors And I know Matt is very proud of this line So See I just thought you were going to go into the line That's why I didn't say anything Let's play the fucking clip I know Matt is proud of this line so let's play it Yeah then one day we lost our business to Cockbuster and Hollywood VD. <laughs> yeah, but you still lasted longer than they did. We sure did. We sure we did. Sure <laughs> did. <laughs> so uh, what? Ha- and I, by the way, there are hints of of things like video violence in this uh, one as well, which I kind of like. Um, Gary gives Tim a box of uh, tapes that don't have any boxes or labels on them. Right. Yeah, because he's well, and it makes sense because he's actually kind of right. You know, you're not likely, you're a lot less likely to sell a tape if it doesn't have the box. I, I like one of the things he says actually, which is that some people just buy them for the boxes, right? They're not which even. Is so, which is so funny because that's exactly what I do. <laughs> well, you're a piece of shit, just like the so, people he's talking about. So many of my movies, the uh, the movies I own, I'm like, I've only bought them because I love the box <laughs> art. So Tim is really excited about uh, about the movies, and he takes the box home. And he opens, uh, well, he he open he opens the box, looks through it, and he discovers a lost shot on video mm. called Bloodgasm. Bloodgasm. Now he puts the tape in and starts watching it. How would you describe Bloodgasm? Uh, how would I describe it? It's uh-huh. bas- uh, I don't know. It's basically, um, uh, it, you know, uh, it looks like uh, like. <laughs> Like fucking, I'm trying to think of the, uh, like blood feast or like you know it's or uh, not even like that like yeah. it's very it's very much of the era like yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of perfect it, it, you know what it, it's sort of like those movies and video violence that they watch on TV the actual violent right. movies right, uh, right. It, it, it starts with someone's hand close up of a hand violence so nails being pulled out and a yeah. lot of damage and then like it seems like <laughs> I mean Tim is entranced with it. But Completely. most of the movie seems to be just a real heart, like a cow heart, being being sliced up with a knife. Yep. <laughs> like a ten minute segment of just slicing up cow hearts. Ha 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 ha. It's a cow heart. So there's lots of organ meat, and it does look like a shot on video movie, and uh, yeah. he's t- totally fucking transfixed by it. How transfixed is he? I just like, to the point that his uh, girlfriend comes home and wants to fuck him. <laughs> And does, <laughs> and he watches the movie through the entire thing. Yeah, and I mean they they go through well pretty much all the positions that exist. <laughs> the, the, two the two or three. So the real studier of the Kama Sutra over here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they fuck, and he watches the movie the entire time, and that's sort of the joke, and it works. It uh, works. It's a great joke. Yeah, and then uh, he. After they they finish, uh, and she is going to sleep, he he says that you know they have to find who 
made this movie because he's never heard of it before. It apparently, it was never released. He needs to get it out there because it's the best movie ever made. I love that he's yeah, like how obsessed he is with the concept that it's like you know, oh, lost shot on video, lost SOV. Oh my god, he was like he's so like in love with the fact that he like found this lost shot on video film. It's like the first time we watched Science Crazed and we were like, yeah, we right. need to bring this to the world. <laughs> we, <laughs> we need to make this known. <laughs> so uh, he does a bunch of research, and this is, gives a, a nice uh, a bunch of nice tributes to other shot on video personalities where he's trying to work out who could have made it. So this is sort of like when we were trying to find out who did uh, Redneck County Fever. Redneck County Fever, <laughs> <laughs> And he's like not marking names, recognizable names off of lists. Right. Uh, and he eventually comes to the conclusion that it was a guy named Chester Cause. Not Chester Copperpot. Chester Cause. <laughs> right. And, uh, and he goes to visit Chester Cause at his uh, apartment complex. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And when he knocks on the door, uh, this is uh, Chester's reaction. This hammy line. Are you Mr. Tim Strauber? The one and the same. This is my girlfriend, Phoebe. Pleased to meet you both. I just want to say how excited we are to be here, Mr. Cause. Thank you so much for agreeing to meet us. <laughs> uh, Phoebe does not seem too enthused about it, and uh, no wonder all. because Chester comes to the fucking door wearing a like a flesh mask, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like it's 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 immediately uh, visible that his walls are covered in garbage bags. <laughs> so there's you know there's something a little disconcerting about that. I don't think so. So but then again, my walls are covered in garbage, <laughs> and my <laughs> windows are covered in tin foil. <laughs> As is my head. Uh, <laughs> they keep out the rays. <laughs> so Chester uh, invites them in, and they have a little talk about who owns the rights to the movie. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and you know, uh, Phoebe is concerned about things. But Tim seems really interested, and he actually notices that there are cameras set up all over the apartment. Yep. And then some stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. We're not gonna go into the twist on this one as well. Uh, I like. The, I you know I like this segment a lot. Uh, and one thing is that's kind of funny is after the the twist sort of occurs or the lead up to the twist, they do a news broadcast. One of those famous shot on video news broadcasts that are not even a little bit convincing. Not even. I also love the idea that this is like like a professional news broadcast that is bringing to the attention of the world that a fucking shot on video movie is breaking all <laughs> records. Yeah. Yeah, let, let's let's put let's put it this way. When the basement was uh, was released, which was a big fucking deal, by the way, when Camp put out the basement, sure. um, it took a week for it to get to me. You know that that it had happened, and it was on like two websites. You know, prior to that, so. You know, and of course, I jumped all over it the second I fucking heard about it. But I mean, it's just funny that there would be a news broadcast talking about this lost shot on video. You I mean, know? let's face it, the most well-known shot on video movie ever made. Yeah. Uh, I mean, or, or at least like the most famous, even amongst our group, something like a blood cult or right. uh, or video violence, even or something like that. It 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 would be notable that they exist to about. Point zero 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 five of the fucking population. Right, exactly. Now, now there is something of note with the uh, w- with that newscast in particular. A uh, uh, the certain woman's name. What was her name? Her I... name was Tara Sheets. 
Oh, yeah, it's, and that's, that will be interesting a little bit later as well. And it was WGOR News, WGOR News. Yeah. I get it. Uh, we are not, we're not giving away what the big twist is here, but I no. will say that there is a specific piece of violence involving uh, someone's teeth that we should give credit to Johnny Dickey for doing the dental appliance for. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. Teeth violence is the bestest violence. Yep. Hey, this segment's over. Why don't we go back and check on those crazy kids? No. Uh, I will say that this segment now picks up a little bit, but it's picking up from zero <laughs> uh, yeah. because the the group, the the two guys and the girl, are scared by a homeless guy who who is uh, staying in the caves, and he takes their camera and he uh, he refuses to give it back. They try to give him some money, and then he takes it and he says, "You think you can buy me off?" <laughs> <laughs> and then he asks the girl to come closer. Yeah, and right. She and she does. does. <laughs> Which is not, I mean, like, he's a filthy homeless guy. I mean, I'm sympathetic, but, um... My my notes in this one, it goes, he, uh, he, uh... He tells them what he really wants, and he whispers into the girl's ear, and I wrote, dot, 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 he wants to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just terrible. <laughs> but but uh, I will say that this segment leading into the next part of the wraparound is the best part of the whole thing. Uh, and, and we'll get back to that in a second, but not right now, because we have to go into the next segment of this anthology. Yeah. And Mo made a sound of pleasure. 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 Because this segment is directed by Ron Bonk. Written by Ron Bonk. You know, we've never covered a Ron Bonk film on the show. No, we haven't. We haven't, which is almost a shame, really. And But I'll tell you, we're going to... Uh, Give him the verbal blowjob he deserves right here. Fuck yeah, we are. <laughs> this <laughs> first this... off, just just going into the title of this <laughs> of this section uh, is 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 enough because man, like just the jokes are just immediate. <laughs> well, this joke is it's called gang them style. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> One of those jokes which I'm sure will age wonderfully. Wonderfully. <laughs> and yes, directed and written by Ron Bonk, who uh, has directed Mrs. Cannibal Holocaust recently and City of the Vampires back in the 90s. Uh, he's a he's a long-time shot-on-video director, and he deserves to be amongst this group. Yeah, absolutely. And at first, I was not sold on this segment. <laughs> See, me, I'm the exact opposite. I, like, the the second it started, I'm like, I love this. I love it so much. <laughs> it's this guy uh, breaking into what appears to be a hospital of some sort, and there are orderlies there. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> he he is fighting them off, and then I guess his brother comes in behind him or some other compatriot and, uh, and helps him uh, try to track down his nan. Yeah. Now, what's notable <laughs> about this is how he does and sp- everything and speaks because this entire segment is done as a tribute stylistically and in terms of all the dialogue to uh 80s well, 80s John Carpenter movies really. Yeah. The music Absolutely. in the background is so close to the music from Escape from uh, Escape from New York <laughs> that it is I like it, it it'll it, you know how um Vanilla Ice said that Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Their song went dun 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 dun, and our song went dun 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 
dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and that's exactly, I mean, the music is super close, which is great because the lead character here, the guy who's running in to find his grandma, is supposed to be Snake Plissken, basically. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with, with elements of all other uh, Kurt Russell, John Carpenter characters, except yep. Elvis, maybe even a little Elvis. Right. <laughs> so just to give you an idea of exactly what we said, and you can hear a little bit of the music in this, uh, in this segment, uh, you can, yeah, let's, let's just have a little listen to how RJ speaks. <laughs> RJ! Grandma! I told you to call me Mongoose. RJ Mongoose McCready? <laughs> yeah, I heard of you. Yeah, I heard you were dead. <laughs> Did you hear the music in the background? <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're in this uh, this waiting room with these orderlies, and suddenly a zombie comes in, bites the brother, um, and uh, RJ ends up shooting the zombie in the head. Yep. And then we, the, a lot of exposition happens all at once. The idea is that there's some sort of the Kobe virus has taken over and, and turned people into zombies. And uh, I think someone says the, that line about the people are dead, they're all messed up, the classic Night of the Living Dead line. Right, right, right. And then the orderlies all run off. So the, the, the plot is this. RJ has to get a hospital full of old people, like seven or however many old people, uh, to safety. That's the job. That's what he has to do. I love it because he's like – because he's about to leave with with the grandmother who, of course, is wearing the eye patch and it's fucking brilliant, you know. And she's like, but what about everybody else, you know. And And he argues with her for a second and then he just goes, game over, man. Game over. And this dude, even though he he's playing all these Kurt Russell things, he looks a lot like Bill Paxton. Yeah, yeah, he really does. <laughs> he really does. Oh man, like, but the like, just the acting in this one in particular is just so over the top and so like, but just in the most brilliant of ways, like almost in like a Manborg sort of style, yes. where you know, um, where the humor's there and and everything really hits and like, and normally when you have something like this where they're making a lot of references to other uh to 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 other works it gets a little old right. but i but i i think that all of the references that they make are so like funny and work so well that like i i never groaned at any of them like every single time i'm like oh that's great (laughs) now at first like i said i wasn't on board because it just seemed like it was going to be a lot of references tied together but once he got to the garage and the idea is that he has these group of old people that he needs to get into a minivan and that is his entire (laughs) his entire mission is to do that (laughs) while zombies are coming at them (laughs) from all directions and like the idea is that they want him to bring the minivan closer to them And he, there's this great moment, and this is one of the really brilliant things about this one, because yeah. it's, it's not afraid to take its time to tell a joke. And one of them where he says that it's it's 10 feet away, and they're saying, it's not 10 feet, it's, it's way further. So he walks and counts the 10, 10 feet. feet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just this great, like, wide shot, you know, because you know what they say, you know, they always say comedies in a wide angle. Right. You know, so they do that, that, that backed up wide shot. And it just sticks there while he's doing the yeah. ten giant steps. I mean, we're we're giving away a lot of the the humor here, but it's it is really great, and it does oh, have. Really you want to talk about a reference? This is a really great repurposed reference when one of the older men who are there, he's a little bit upset about how he's being treated, <laughs> so he decides to say this. That's great. Hey kid, I'll have you know I'm plenty tough. In my day, I was able to chew bubble gum 
and kick ass at the same time. But then I, I went out of bubble gum. The way he says I ran out of bubble gum is so fucking funny. You know, because you had sent me the list of, of audio clips and I read that. So I just expected it to be sort of a... Uh, you know, just a direct reference. Right, exactly. To, to they live, and then the way he says it, I had to. I paused the movie and I laughed for like five fucking minutes. I'm like, that is so <laughs> fucking funny. So, needless to say, zombies show up. Uh, things do not go entirely well for RJ or his nana. Nope. But, uh, but, uh, and and the violence in this is actually really well done as well. Really one well. Of, done. One of the first things he does when he gets into the garage, he stomps on a zombie's head, and it looks terrific. It's um, great. So now, the only problem with this segment, and I don't think we should give any more detail to it. Is the question of going back to the rules at the beginning. Because this segment looks a lot better than most of the other segments as well. It looks right. almost a little too good. I mean, this, this is a great short film. I mean, it's one that I would recommend to everybody. It almost has Absolutely. that Astron 6 kind of, of humor to it. And it I really think, does. Yeah. And this is one that you, even if you weren't a fan of Shot on Video, if you were just kind of a cult movie fan, you'd probably get a big kick out of. But it... it doesn't feel like a shot on video movie like it doesn't no. feel like like a kind of a classic shot on video movie no no it doesn't it doesn't but i'm willing to look past all of that because of how much it made me laugh yeah absolutely well that's it and i mean at the end of the day the proof is in the pudding right i mean it's, right. we enjoyed it we had a lot of fun some of the segments we didn't so uh so uh, it's hard to complain about something yeah. that you're actually enjoying but i mean i i i I could imagine someone else involved with this movie watching this set and being like, oh, I could have made something like that if I, I wasn't following the rules as strictly. Right, right, right. Well, you know what I would say to them? I'd say, suck it up, Buttercup. This movie, this one was fucking Suck great. it up, Buttercup. You know? <laughs> you know, we didn't mention at the beginning of the show, and I did say to you that we would, but, but one of the things, and if you go over to our Facebook group, uh, you'll get a bit more information on this. There's something slightly controversial about High 8, uh, some of the uh, the segments, uh, the filmmakers feel uh, it's not that filmmakers feel the filmmakers specifically know that their segments were edited. Uh, they it wasn't exactly what they presented, and it's important for us to keep that in mind, even though we don't know all of the details around it. But it's also important for you, the viewer, to keep that in mind. Again, we're not we're not going to be judgmental on on someone's skills anyway, but you know no. it's it's important to note as we go forward, that some of these segments are not exactly what the directors intended. Which is a shame. Which is a shame, because as we have said many, many times before, the glory of no budget and shot on video and micro-budget filmmaking is the purity of vision. It's the idea that you can do whatever the fuck you want, right, and exactly. no one is going to tell you that you can't put that in a movie or that you shouldn't put that in a movie. Uh, and And... The idea that anyone's vision would be compromised when it's really the whole purpose of this sort of thing, that that's a little bit depressing to think about. Right. But that being said, Gangnam Style, easily the best segment in the film, as far as I'm concerned. I'll leave my pick till the end. Yeah, well, I'm not going to. Wink. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wink. Oh, I, I get it. You're a big fan of the wraparound story. <laughs> well, actually, the next part of the wraparound story I really do like because the, what we discover is, remember that homeless guy was whispering into the girl's ear? Right. It looked like it was going to get all creepy and weird, and it was yeah. feeling a little icky. But what we discover is, once we go back, is that the homeless guy wanted to be in the movie. Womp womp. So he's actually part of the filmmaking process at this point. Yeah. Um, and And... He he actually starts improvising about people showing up faceless and skinless, and uh, and she's like she does she couldn't 
follow along at first because because of the improvisation and uh, when it seems to her that the filmmakers don't have confidence in her abilities, she says she can do it and then she grabs a homeless guy and it just cuts into the next segment. Right. The next segment, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, uh, well, first off, well, let's let's. So this one's called genre bending. Genre bending. That's right. Uh, made, made by Chris Seaver, probably best known for his Mulva films, right? And Sex Squatch, The Legend of Bloodstool Creek. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Scrotal uh, uh, Vengeance. Right. Uh, a man whose uh, sense of humor I particularly enjoy. Right. You particularly yeah. enjoy. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people out there who don't, uh, and I get that. I totally understand it, but I, I actually do. Re- I love I love his movies. I think they're fucking hilarious. I would compare his sense of humor, and you can tell me if this is stupid, to Beelzebub's. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's better. I think it's funnier. I think Beelzebub, uh, like... I think the way his mind works is like he has great ideas for specifically with titles, but the follow through is not always there. And I think that Chris Seaver's follow through is a lot better. Right. Um, that being said, they're still very sophomoric. They're still very moronic, but that's what I enjoy about them. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit more about this segment, Mo. Ugh. I want to hear. I want to hear your opinion on this segment. Mine. All right. So it starts. So it opens with a woman jogging, um, and and of course we're immediately uh, brought into a you know like a fucking Zucker Brothers style joke with well might as well bounce and next thing you know she's on a trampoline you know is uh, that what that joke was <laughs> that's what the joke was yeah I, I you know uh, <laughs> and of course it works because you know she's got large breasts and that's obviously she's a heavy know, set she's a heavy set woman she's a very heavy that, set I mean woman. I don't that, I don't mean to bring that up for any reason not, other than not an unattractive woman at all right but that's sort of the yeah. part point of what we're watching here is that she's a heavy set woman and there is a creeper watching her as she does all of these things exactly and in fact for shot on video fans you might actually recognize the creeper is Billy uh, Garbarina I think that's how you pronounce his name who I know best from the movie Necroville which is one of actually one of my favorite low budget zombie movies. Well, there you go. There you go. And he yeah. is probably the best part of this. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's hilarious in this. They they do make a really great uh I you know, like the, I love crude humor and I think the cum joke they make here is uh is really great cuz they they've got him sort of shuffling in the bushes and it's clearly supposed to be him masturbating and then yes. they cut to a close up of her squirting uh you know, like suntan lotion. Suntan lotion lotion into her hand you know i think it's great i think it's pr- pretty pretty funny and in fact let's get a sense of what her character is like after she is rubbing this on her skin please wow it's wonderful as the sun feels on my parchment skin oh i do want to get just a little color mm. that way i won't look so different from the negro boys i like to fuck <laughs> The idea is that is that the idea is that there's this that that creeper character is getting continually closer to her, even to the point where he's like reaching out for her. this particular segment has her literally appearing under her at one point. That's, that's my favorite moment. She's because uh, it's so out of nowhere. She's like rubbing the lotion on her on her legs, and then her legs kind of open up, and he's there in between them. <laughs> so then uh, she goes back inside. <laughs> 
And she's washing dishes And it's continually showing him watching her Getting closer to her Reaching out to her Sometimes she'll turn around But he won't be there Or like he'll fart <laughs> Yes or... and, she'll, and she'll turn around and he's gone And he goes oh it must have been the wind Or, he, or he'll fart That's right I I love it I love, I love crude you know childish humor Oh man okay so I do, I do like how this kind of culminates and what this kind of leads up to, which is that eventually he gets closer and closer, and she almost catches him each time, and then he appears, and this is what happens. <laughs> you fucking cunt! But you happen to know what time it is. What? <laughs> <laughs> the time. I seem to have lost all track of it. <laughs> the music shift do, there. Do, 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 do. Uh, yeah. So she tells him the time, and then he leaves. I like how he just says "cunt" on the way out. <laughs> and as soon as he goes out the door, someone grabs his head and breaks his neck. Snaps his neck. And it's a it's like a black neighbor. I shouldn't say black neighbor. That sounds terrible. But yeah, a neighbor okay. who is a black guy wearing uh, the zombie shark shirt that I own from uh, from Ooh. zombie. And I was like, hey, that's that shirt I own. <laughs> Probably looks better on you though uh, I wouldn't say <laughs> <laughs> It's a pretty thin fucking shirt um, And And I gotta be honest with you Mo Everything that happens after this I fucking hate Yeah? Yeah There's. I mean it's just a bunch of this, this a Bunch of rape humor is what it is right I mean yeah, I know it's, it's bad taste Bad taste and I'm I'm cool with bad taste man But I don't think it's very funny. It's just constantly like first he's going to try to rape her and he keeps talking about it, and then she's like into it, and yeah. as she gets more into it, she starts to freak him out, and then he backs off. <laughs> but there's such a but there's that great moment where he's kind of like touching on her and he's going because he I even wrote a song about it. Oh, it's rape time! Oh, like and, and like when he starts singing to her that it's raping time. I'm like, that's fucking hilarious. I, I was I was laughing the whole time. I uh, I didn't really find a lot of humor in it. I have to say, uh, but but the other thing about this entire segment is that it it honestly feels like they were just throwing shit together as they were making it. Right. Right. I mean, this is the most fucking like. <laughs> there's no structure to this at all. It is completely there, random. There's, there's a great uh, line in a review that somebody wrote up on the IMDb page that <laughs> talks about this segment, is, and it describes it as the most what-the-fuck segment yes. in the film. And it is. It absolutely is. But, I mean, like, if you can put about put aside, like, any... Morals. Yeah, like, any morals or any, like, po- political correctness you might have. Oh, what uh, are, you, are you accusing me of being a social justice warrior? No, but you are politically correct, whereas I'm yeah, not. Yeah, I, I care about people making jokes about shit that isn't funny. Right. Um, exactly. and I'll be honest. If it was super fucking funny, then I could probably come around on it. But it's yeah. just it's just the, there's only one joke to it. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. But I think I'm also a big fan of what I like to call comedy torture. Where they where they'll repeat the same sort of thing over and over again. And That's I, fair. And, enough. I do like I do like that as well. Yeah, and I and I thought the fact that they just kept going on and on and on about it, you know, and like how she eventually uh, like she starts turning it on him, which I thought was really funny. And but and, and he starts to get like really flustered about it. He's like, I ain't the victim. You the victim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ending of this sequence is very 
strange. It just Bizarre, yeah. yeah, it just it just kind of just stops. It doesn't actually end. Right. Uh, so I mean I I don't know what to say about that, but uh, but we didn't give away kind of how it all comes together. But uh, there isn't really a twist in this one. It just sort of yeah. There's no real twist. It shit just happens and then it stops yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I I say I say that this 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 segment this was my uh, third favorite of the film. Um, but I think that uh, I think that uh, I could easily see people not liking it. It just so happens that it sort of fits my sense of humor. I will say that it is certainly a change of pace. It's, Absolutely. Right. And, Absolutely. And, and in a movie like this, you kind of need it. Yeah, uh, and it works really well right after the last segment. I mean, I think the two of them back-to-back really work, although it probably would have worked better if they had been reversed. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, if you if you had ended on the funnier one, I thought that would have been better, and then gone into the next segment. <laughs> uh, back to our... Wraparound segment They're making some fake blood uh, They're pouring it into the girl's mouth I will say that there's a, a nice second here Where she swats away a bug That is approaching her because of the the uh, I guess the fact they might be using corn syrup I, I, well, yeah, It's clearly yeah, They're using Cairo syrup and uh, food coloring Yeah and, and uh, that's I mean again it's, it's uh, We're looking for something to, to etch to here but really, right. but really all it is is she ends up getting stabbed Like fake stabbed And she spits up a bunch of blood And the guy yells more blood And that's everything that happens Yeah But it doesn't matter man It doesn't matter Because do you remember the real reason That we wanted to watch this in the first place? Yeah this segment This segment Because this, this segment, segment Right here because we haven't seen House of Forbidden Secrets yet, so I haven't yet. No, so we want to see the return of the God of No Budget Nightmares, Mr. Todd Sheets. Yeah, and this is it. This is his segment of High Eight. Todd Sheets, the request by Todd Sheets. And I don't think this one disappoints at all. This this is this is a great segment. Uh, this I, is my second favorite of the entire. Yeah, movie. it's my second favorite. I'm giving. I'm just giving it away. It's my second fucking favorite. Yeah, uh, this is this is written by Todd Sheets. Uh, it stars Brad Westmar, who I know is in House of Forbidden Secrets as well, and he's an actual DJ in real life. And in this uh, sex, uh, section, he's playing a DJ. Yeah, he's got and he's got a great voice for it too. So it only makes sense that he's a DJ in real life. Does it? I guess. People say I should be doing that too, but really, I shouldn't. D- let's let's hear your DJ voice. No. Twenty three past the hour. <laughs> Here's Nickelback. Right. Not bad. Um. Yeah. So, so Brad Westmar plays Magic Matt West, a DJ, and I'm gonna go with the idea that Matt is named Matt after Matt Hill because I like thinking things like that. <laughs> well, I I was doing that the whole movie. I'm like, so we had a character named Gary in the last one, so I just assumed he was named after Gary Cohen. <laughs> you know, there's another character named Tim who I assumed was named after Tim, Tim Ritter. Ritter. Right. Yeah. Uh. So this section, th- this one's interesting because it's very much in the guise of a Tales from the Crypt type story. Yeah, it's I mean it's really a lot like it and and that's a really kind of comfortable uh, kind of structure to go with. Yeah, and it works. I think it's great. Yeah, and it it looks really nice too. I mean again, we're so like every bit of Todd Sheets I've seen over the last like 2 years have been his early films and you forget that hey wait, you know, when he, when cleaned up this shit looks pretty good. Yeah. Though I will say that this segment does have one thing I don't like which it has like fake film damage. Put mm-hmm. on the stuff. Eh, it's just uh, I've seen enough of that man on shot on video movies over the last few years. So, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, I'm gonna say man. All right. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> so uh, the DJ Magic Matt West, uh, he's doing an all night dedication show. People are calling in, making requests, and he's playing their songs. 
To my huggy bear. And he starts to get a phone call continuously uh, where someone, you can't really understand what they're saying at first. It just sounds like static. Uh, and he and they call again and again and again, and they're annoying the shit out of him. <clears throat> and uh, eventually he, he can hear through the static someone saying, are you going to play our song tonight? Yeah, there's some really, uh, not to, you know, move back a space here, but there are some really great, like, jokes with some of the song titles. You oh, know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he gets a dedication, and, and like I said, it's to to my huggy bear, <laughs> and it's a song called "I Want to Kiss You at the Chuck E. Cheese" from the Jedi Superstars. <laughs> I listen to that song. I would totally listen to that song. Oh yeah, but I mean, of course, the most notable song dedication comes next, and in fact, Heck yeah, let's have a little listen. KJKI, home of the All Request Overnight. I am Magic Matt West, taking your calls all night long. Got a call for an old classic here. It's Whispers in the Gloom from Anoki and Key, only on KJKI. Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a radio station Fuck that played yeah. Anoki and Key. Yeah, the classic. So uh, what happens is eventually he uh, unplugs the phone because it keeps ringing, but then it still rings. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. And he goes into the bathroom and he looks himself in the mirror And we get a little flashback to what this is all about And we discover that uh, he had a rocky romance with his wife She may or may not have been cheating on him uh, It was their anniversary and she asked him to dance And it, he started to cry while they were dancing And he ends up stabbing her in the back He killed his wife what a bastard. What a bastard. And, I mean, uh, we're not going to give away the ending of this, but we did say this was like a Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah, so you get an idea. <laughs> so you can probably figure out what happens. You can probably put the pieces together what's going to happen. Now, I wonder if I could get him to kill my wife. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's I'm not kidding, funny. I'm That's kidding, not, of course. Nah, you, you better say you're kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to all law enforcement listening, I'm kidding. In case you were wondering, uh, this being a Todd Sheets uh, film or piece, uh, that uh, whether we get to see some organ meat, I can confirm, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. So we get a Noking key. We get a lot of colored lights. We get some organ meat. So this is a Todd Sheets work. Through and through. Yeah. So I, I, I like this segment a lot. It's a really solid. I... Uh, and if, if people. I think as far as story goes, I think it might be the best one. Yes. Like as far as just straight story. Yeah, because it's really solid. It, it, has yeah. a, it has a framework which is perfect for this sort of movie. Right, exactly. People listening right now by wondering, it's like, boy, there seems to be a lot of segments in this. And you know what? You're right. There's there too are. many segments in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it, it probably would have benefited from having maybe two or three less segments and then being a little longer. Yeah, you would have had a chance to uh, expand on some storylines a little bit. But the problem is, is if they had been a little longer, mm -hmm. the ones that weren't weren't quite as good would have been that much worse. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely a good point. But this yeah. movie is about 140-something minutes long. Um, yeah. Which, which, and it feels it because... It does uh, feel be, it. Because you do get those stories that are beginning, middle, and end. And even at 10 minutes, it starts to weigh a little bit, uh, especially at this point of the movie. <laughs> I think both Mo and myself, when we were watching it, there are points where we contacted each other and, and were like, yeah, like I'm, I, I, I don't know about how I'm feeling about this movie because <laughs> it feels like it's almost a struggle to get through at this point. Some, and some of them absolutely were, and especially when it starts off so, like, poor, you know? Right. Mm. 
But anyway, we're moving on to the second last segment in just a moment. But before we do that, we have the wraparound segment where our uh, intrepid teens are leaving their filming uh, location. They're going home for the day. But while they do that, they uh, and they do mention that the homeless guy just took off. He I guess he didn't want to continue to film. She, uh, the girl, Andrea, we find out her name is, she left her bag back at the cave. And the two guys, because they're horny assholes, mm-hmm. both are like, I'll go with you. But she prefers to go well, alone. She's like, fuck it, I'm going to go alone. Though they probably should have just all went back. <laughs> they probably should have just all went. It seems like they're setting up something, but I have no idea what that might be. Oh, I wonder what that could possibly be. Our second last segment is called Thicker Than Water. Directed by actually one of the real uh, stalwarts of, uh, of shot on video cinema and low budget cinema, Donald Farmer, who uh, directed Cannibal Hookers and Demon Queen. He directed Dorm of the Dead a few years ago, which has got yep. a, yeah, that's a pretty well known vampire cop. So, I mean, this is, this, this is, I mean, he, again, another name that definitely deserves to be on here. I've never seen Vampire Cop, but I really want to see it. <laughs> Yeah, based on title alone, I'd, I, would, I would definitely watch it. <laughs> and that. We've, we've never been bitten by that before. Yeah. Uh, this segment you is... You have the right to remain drained. <laughs> oh, man, I want to watch it right now. <laughs> this segment, Thicker Than Water, is very unusual. Yeah. And not necessarily in a good way. Not in a good way. It starts with another movie within a movie where we see two girls on a beach. Uh, they're they're in bikinis, and one of them goes swimming in the water, and it looks like they're setting up something. And then we realize that it's actually a movie being watched. I got I got kind of a kick out of it because one of them goes, "We're not going to leave until you get wet," and the other one just pours a beer on her. Yeah, so. I, I did like that as well. <laughs> so, but we realize that it's actually a movie being watched by a young couple. And mm-hmm. uh, the actually the guy in this case is Mike Malloy, director of uh, Eurocrime, the documentary, which is terrific, and uh, a friend of the show. And the they have an interesting relationship because she really obviously doesn't like horror movies. And when she asks him to turn it off, he pauses it instead of turning it off, which makes and her she, even more upset. She just freaks the fuck out. Because she uh, she then accuses him of having, not cheating on her, it seems like she's upset about the fact that he had a relationship before her. Yeah, and I got I got to tell you, I've dated women like this before, and it, it just it does not last. This is the sort of no? this, are you kidding? This, this is the sort of attitude that I just have no fucking patience for. I'm like, I'm not with them. I'm with you now. Shut the fuck up, wow. Jesus! What a, what a loving, compassionate partner you are in life. I have the moment. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> though though Mike Malloy's character here, he gets just as upset as you were because he gets really frustrated about the fact that she uh, seems to be accusing him of something. Right. Because he, she says, you know, did you pause your relationship or did you stop it? Uh, but she and then when he eventually, you know, uh, says that he wouldn't spit in the mouth of this ex-girlfriend if she was dying, uh, she See, seems like she she's okay with it, and then she asks him to make her a sandwich, like a weirdo. Reasonable request. <laughs> and when he goes in to make a sandwich, he discovers, uh, I guess it's it's her phone or his phone with uh, an ultrasound video on it, showing yep. that she is pregnant. They're gonna Ooh. have a family, and he's overjoyed. He's very happy with this development. Right, understandably so. Un- understandably so. Uh, I mean, of course. Meanwhile, I'd be like, "Oh God, I'm stuck with this for the rest of my life." <laughs> now, she has not shown herself to be a consistent human up to this point. She does seem a little off, I have to say, and that, <laughs> a little. She seems a little off. And after uh, seeing that she's pregnant, uh, she asks um, 
the uh, the boyfriend or husband to come to the garage for a moment. Mm-hmm. Ted is his name, I should say. And when Ted goes out to the garage, he discovers his ex-girlfriend, Lauren, and she's tied up and sliced. She's been sliced up. Do you think he's named after legendary film director Ted V. Michaels? I am 100% sure that that is the case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not? Why not? <laughs> so, so his crazy wife, and let's she's fucking insane. Uh, Completely bonkers. Has tied up this girl and says that... Um, Accuses her of trying to seduce her husband And says that she needs a taste of her own medicine Uh, She goes back inside while Ted is checking on Lauren And she goes and gets some Drano Why not? In fact, uh, this is what she has to say about the the Drano I actually really love this line Drano For when bitches are full of shit (laughs) That's a great line For when bitches are full of shit Full of shit, yeah Well, if you say so, Mo. I think it's funny. <laughs> so she pours into a glass and brings it into the garage. She, she, and Ted, who is really upset about all this, and rightfully so, she tells him to back off, and he does. He doesn't stop her. Like, I mean, there's a million ways he could have stopped her from pouring Drano into this girl's mouth. But yeah. he's, he's just too upset to stop her. And so she pours Drano into her mouth, and she starts spitting up green goo. But it doesn't kill her, which is strange. because That is strange, because you'd think that a glass full of Drano down your throat would kill you. I don't know much about it. It's not something I have a lot of experience with, but I oh, would never drank that. Drano before? Have not. And I didn't know it was such a delightful orange color. Too. It's not. No, I didn't think that it was. Yeah. <laughs> but what are you going to do? So after pouring Drano into her mouth, uh, the wife says to Ted that that they have to put her out of her misery at this point. So she's got like a mallet and a big nail and she tries to convince him that the, the, the best thing to do would be to drive a nail through her skull. Give her I a... gotta tell I gotta tell you, I love the fact that she whips out a fucking giant rubber mallet. Yeah, a giant rubber mallet. And I like the fact that she convinces him that yes, that is the thing that they should do. Sure, honey, that's a great idea. Uh, so while they're doing that, uh, the Lauren ends up escaping. But I'm not going to tell you what happens for the rest of this piece. But I will say that none of this really makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be sort of a condemnation of of a controlling girlfriend or a controlling wife. Uh, but it, And it also has a gag at the end, which is supposed to be, I think it all leads up to, and it kind of is bookmarked by that gag. But I did not like this segment at all. No, uh, I didn't care for it. Yeah, this one this one doesn't work for me. I mean, it does have a beginning and a middle and, the, uh, and an end. though. The but it's mi- got a shitty beginning, middle, yeah. and end, yeah. though. It, it, it yeah. just, it's not as much fun as it should. I mean, it should be like a really off-the-wall, whacked-out, Tail, but all right. I, all I like watching it. All I could do is feel like bad for everyone involved, except for the wife who I just wanted to go away. Yeah, exactly. I feel bad for Ted. I feel bad for Lauren. But the the whininess of the uh, of the wife character was just a little too much for me. She should have. But when bitches are full of shit, she should have. Yeah, except she did have that great line. There, she should have dialed it back a little bit and went a little bit more psycho. Yeah, or dialed it up a bit and went. Psycho in that direction Or or at least ramped Like started Because she starts At such a high pitch Right Yeah If she had it Just kind of She was more reasonable And then she just went Like 110 miles per hour And just went fucking crazy That's That's the kind of shit I like Yeah that would have been good too Hey the wraparound story It's actually Something's fucking happening And it's Finally <laughs> I mean I guess you gotta You gotta put these things off But 
the filmmakers are looking for Andrea, who has not uh, come back. Uh, they go back to where they were shooting, and they find the homeless guy with blood coming out of his head. and it, In a pool of blood. In a pool of blood because his face has been peeled off. Ooh. And just like that story that they mentioned earlier, <laughs> vaguely. <laughs> they, uh, they hear a scream. Uh, probably Andrea, and they run into the woods to find out where it is. But we don't get to see what it is because we need to go into our final segment called The Scout, directed by Brad Sykes. Uh, written it's by Brad the final Sykes. segment! <laughs> uh, Brad Sykes has been making uh, low-budget films since about uh, the year 2000, I think. His most well-known are probably the Camp Blood movies. I think there's two of them. There's Death Factory. He also directed uh, Witchcraft 12, I think. That that series is a fucking weird series, man. <laughs> so someone just let that license just go all over the place. <laughs> but this one is The Scout. And... Um, this is kind of a simplistic segment in a lot of ways, though it also kind of has that Tales from the Crypt style feel to it in some ways. Would there's a know? moment there's a moment in this one which we probably won't mention because it's the big twist, but there but that moment is probably the one really good moment of this. The rest of this I just don't really I didn't yeah. really care for. I mean, it. I like the, I actually kind of like the concept because it does fit into the I love the concept. I just thought that the execution was really bad and they you know and just and I mean and the fact that like they went out onto a real location uh, is awesome, but man, the fucking wind! <laughs> you had a, real, a lot of trouble with that wind, eh? In this in this scene, yes, I did. A a a. Do not make fun of the way I talk. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so this it, it's really just two people in this segment. It's uh, Maddie, who is an actress. Uh, in L.A., and Adrian, who is a um, a filmmaker, a low-budget filmmaker, and yeah. she's waiting to hear about a callback, and he's heading off to a location that he used to film at to scout locations for an upcoming shoot. Mm. Uh, and and I mean, that's the setup. The idea is that they go to this location. She gets the, the, the notification about her callback on the way there. They have a very limited amount of time, so they go out to this, and they go out to, like you said, a really cool location that seems to be a real abandoned building that that uh looks all bombed out yeah it's a great location yeah it really is i wish they had made a movie there (laughs) Uh, yeah exactly i wish that they had just made the movie there uh she gets a little bit freaked out while she's there um uh, the adrian goes off on his own to kind of scout out some of the location she ends up hearing something and she goes inside after him and uh when he ends up touching her shoulder and scaring her and she decides that she wants to go and but when they get in the car, it won't start. Nope, got a leak. They're in the middle of nowhere. They do not have a sig- uh, signal for their phone, uh, and uh, they have a big fight, mm-hmm. like a really big fight, kind of a shockingly large fight, considering that they pretty much are fucked. She does something really stupid here, which is walk off into the desert. Yeah, right. <laughs> in the wrong direction too. And in fact, he gives her uh, quite a send off. I mean, they they were seem to be getting along quite well, but uh, this is how he. Says goodbye. See you on the big screen, bitch! Yeah. And you can hear that wind. Yeah, there isn't a lot of notable dialogue in this one. Nah. Uh, so she goes off into the desert like an idiot, uh, realizes, I guess, fairly quickly that that is not a good idea. Then she returns to uh, the, that location with the building and finds Adrian's camera. Yep. And so she starts to watch what's on the camera, and that leads into the end of it. And like you said... Probably the only interesting thing happens at the very yeah that end. that moment 
from where she picks up the camera through the end, I really enjoyed. But the build up to that, ugh. Yeah. Just didn't care for I mean, it. they're both of them are unpleasant characters. There's no sympathy for her. Yeah, there's exactly. There's no relatability to either one of them. They're both jerks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 at least it ends well, which honestly, if, if you're better that it ends well than begins well. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, if you're going to, I mean, I think another great example would, would, would have been, um, oh, what was the one before the, uh, um, I got to go back in my notes, the, the very bad situation one where like it, you know, it doesn't, oh, right. Of course that the one yeah. with the meteorite. Right. You know, I mean, where at least you've got a really good ending. Now we're, we're, we have a bit of a, a pickle here, Mo, because what we do before the end of the movie is we go back to our wraparound story. That has to come to an end. But right. should we give away what happens in the wraparound story? Nah. Nah, let's not. But I will say that our crew, they do find Andrea, and what happens next will shock and surprise you. No one. Will no. shock and surprise you, no one. You probably knew what was going to happen the first fucking time that one of those crew mentioned. Well, I won't go yeah. into it. Yeah, we won't go into it. Let's just put it this way. If you have a brain in your head, you know exactly what's going to happen. And if you don't have a brain in your head, that's awesome. The 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 final dialogue that these filmmakers have in the movie are they're it's kind of clever and fun where they're they basically are referring to trying to get the best shot and that this is a wrap and then it leads right into the credits. Okay. But production values. Production values, that's right. And we get the credits and the credits uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, it 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 was kind of Distressing to not know who was directing each segment as we were going through it because let's face it, if you're gonna pick up this movie, it's very unlikely to be random. You know, it's because you're a fan of some of the people involved, so you want to know right. which part that they're doing. And maybe, exactly. and maybe that's kind of the fun of it is to to not know until the end and kind of piece that together, try to guess whose style matches what. But for me. And maybe it's just because I'm the kind of guy who takes fucking notes while we're watching these things. <laughs> I had to go back and, and kind of piece it all together. And, I mean, again, I could have just jumped to the credits at the end and found out myself. But no, I was, I was Supel. 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 Jesus Supel. Christ. I was Supel. I'm Supel, uh, man. I was really super thankful for that IMDb review. That I didn't read the whole review, but it had each segment listed out with the title and who directed it and actually had a nice little uh, parenthetical next to it uh, that said uh, movies that that they were known for. But I mean, of course I knew them all already, but it was nice of them to do that. Sure. Uh, You know, so, so to have all that right there already. So I just made little notes as I went along, but uh, yeah, they should have, they should have just had like a little, title thing come up and just even if it was just like a little like lower left thing like a music video or whatever where it just said you know the title of the of the thing and and who did it it would have been a lot better again that's a pretty minor complaint i mean obviously it's a very minor complaint but 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 for us who have been looking forward to seeing some of these directors more than others to be honest um that that we're you know we want to know when we get to that segment um now there's two things about this closing credits that are notable one good and one uh, confusing to me one is that as they list the credits for each one they show an old photo of that director directing when like in the 80s or the 90s sort of in their heyday which i thought is really nice i thought that was pretty cool considering that there isn't any kind of more overt celebration of the fact that these guys have a long history and a long career of uh and are beloved by people who are into these kind of movies uh, yeah i mean it 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 it's nice that that we get some sense of the history from there and i really like that the other thing is the movie ends with the eight rules but it seems really strange to put that at the very end of the movie 
Yeah, that should have been the first thing to come it, up. It should it should have been the very first thing to come up, and I, I'm really confused why that wasn't the case. Because the you know it, if not that you, it would give you necessarily more sympathy or more understanding about the quality of some of these pieces, but you know it. it why even have the rules in the first place <laughs> if you're not going to kind of show them off? If you're only going to expect the people to watch to the end of the credits to know that they even exist. Mm. Just really strange. I, I just was confused by that when, when you know, that, that should be part of the celebratory nature of, of the movie as well. These right. are the rules. Now here are the, the directors that you love working within these rules. Right. All right. So you, so, so getting, getting back to the film itself, um, you said you weren't going to reveal your favorites, even though we already fucking we already know did. which we ones are. Did. You know, so let, let's let's just let's just go and, and just give a, a real quick rundown. Wh- which were your favorites? Uh, let's let's not even do the let's not even talk about because we already did. We already said yeah. which ones which ones we didn't. You're like. absolutely right. Let, let's just let's just say what were your top three? You know what, Gangnam Style is obviously number one in terms obviously of it, one. well in terms of entertainment value. Yeah, uh, and with Todd Sheets, uh, one which is called the Request is number two for me, and number three, though number one in terms of I think really capturing the idea and aesthetic of what they were trying to do was the tape. Yeah, I, I really like that one uh, quite a bit, and I, I also feel like it's the one that feels the most like an old shot on video movie. There you go. And what about yourself? Uh, yeah, obviously, uh... obviously, obviously. Uh, I thought that the I thought the Gangnam Style was my was the best one. Uh, definitely uh, the Todd Sheets would be number two, and I don't. Know, I think I think my third favorite, just because of my twisted sense of humor, I think would be uh, genre bending. <laughs> but uh, but but I agree with you a lot. I think maybe maybe tied for third would also be the tape. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. I would say that if those the, were the standouts. If you're the kind of person to listen to this show then you have, you have to see it i mean there's then no you clearly have problems <laughs> you clearly have problems but you have to see this movie because this is exactly the sort of thing that you celebrate that you love these are the directors that you follow and are interested in generally so you yeah. want to support what they're doing the fact that there is some controversy around this is really unfortunate because yes. the fact is nobody is getting rich making shot on video movies nope no one's getting rich i mean you might be able to make it your your career you might be able to do okay, but no one is, is bringing in the millions doing this. So the fact that there would be any bad blood, it just isn't worth it. It's not worth it for anybody. No. And especially when you're trying to design something that is meant to be so celebratory, that's meant to be an examination of history, that's meant to have all of these kind of tributes to people who don't get tributes paid to them. And when they do, it's on a Facebook page, and there's half a dozen people saying that, you know, I really like your movie. This is this was an opportunity to do something a little bigger and to kind of compile all of this talent and all of this interest into one kind of super movie for shot on video fans. And while it didn't live up to the potential necessarily in terms of quality start to finish, it still could have it still represents that on kind of a larger scale. It's still an opportunity to see these names all together. You know, it's that it's that Justice League of America type thing. Yeah. So it's it is it's it it bothers me probably more than it should that anyone would have any hard feelings about how the final result came together. This was a collaborative effort. This was right. a lot of people you know coming together doing their own thing and and it should be appreciated on that level. 
Right. And, you know, and like any anthology, you know, movie out there, I mean, like I said, like I said at the beginning, I can't name one that where I, where I have enjoyed every single, you know, segment in it. So obviously there's going to be ones you're going to like, there's going to be ones you're not going to like, and your opinions may differ from ours. And that's great because taste is subjective. You know, it's, it's just how it works. In, in fact, but, I would like anyone who has seen High Eight and or is going to be seeing in the future head over to our Facebook group, absolutely, and tell us what your favorite segments are. Disagree with us if you want. I mean, this right. this is a movie that should stir conversation, and honestly, I imagine after this episode gets out, it's going to stir a lot of conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's actually kind of funny. Like, like as I was watching it. Um, you know, and I was, and I was finishing up Gangnam Style, I had to go on my Facebook and like tag Ron Balk and be like, well, I'm laughing and you know why. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered to my horror that I wasn't following him on Facebook. I was like, oh yeah, no, we got to fix that. <laughs> no, you got to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is also an opportunity. I mean, th- I would have liked to for this movie to lead to like round tables of all these directors being able to answer questions about it. And, you know, again, it it should have become part of a larger celebration. I don't know if we'll ever see high eight two, but this, this could have been a format that, that, that meant a number of different films. I mean, if they can make more and more shitty VHS sequels, then they could certainly make another high eight. I know, right. You've got three VHS movies and one good segment out of all of them. So, I mean, (laughs) You know, let, let's 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 at least try to make another high eight. You know, give some give some uh, some of the other, you know, uh, old shot on. Yeah, there's lots of people left. There's lots of people who who could use I, that. I would have loved to have seen J.R. Bookwalter make. Yeah, one absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's there's a lot of names we can go through. Well, there's um, a ton of names, exactly. But yeah, so that is high eight. That's our opinion on it. Definitely worth watching. Definitely worth seeing. But there out. is, but there is one name I definitely would not want to see. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch the next fucking one. Oh, the wraparound God. story by. Uh, but fuck yes. that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So you should absolutely check out high eight. Currently available through Wild Eye Releasing, uh, and you know the with the understanding that some pieces might be compromised, but check it out. If you have an opinion on it, let it be known, get the word yeah. out, right? This is the only way that, that people are going to find out about this movie is to kind of do it yourself. So right. come over again, come over to the Facebook group and discuss it with us. Talk about your favorite and least favorite segments. Yeah. We definitely want to see what you have to say on, <laughs> on high eight. I mean, cause, cause, you know, it's great. That's that's one of my favorite things about. I mean, I don't talk a lot on the Facebook group, but I'm always there, kind of creeping and and reading what everybody has to say. So, I mean, it's you know, it's 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 a great community over there, and I'm really glad how how big it's getting and how active it is, and how mm-hmm. you know all of you psychopaths are out there fucking uh con- con- contributing. So, you and I'm realizing right this very second Uh-oh. that we have not discussed at all. What our next movie is going to be. Typical Mo and Doug. Well, I mean, we just f- covered two extremely well-known or, or larger uh, profile shot-on-video movies. And, and that's – it's not something we normally do. <laughs> well, maybe now is the time. Hmm. And let me know if you don't think this is a good idea. But maybe I will. Now, maybe now is the time that we finally get back and do another Dave Wescovich film. Holy fuck. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to disagree. I think it's time. Yeah. I, I, this will be our 2015 Dave Waskovich member. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm sure you are, but whatever. <laughs> 
Uh, but the the question is, Mosiv, is uh, what maybe we should do Suburban Sasquatch again? No. Now the understanding is that he has only made five movies, and we have covered two of them. So let's do fun- Fungicide. Fungicide. On the next episode of the No Budget Nightmares podcast, we're going to be covering Fungicide from 2005 by Dave Wascovich. I think that's a good idea. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a damn fine idea. Hey, hey, hey calm down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, that is why I can't fucking believe we're going to do that, but we're going to do that. We're going to do it. <sighs> but, uh, but until then... Where can people find us on the internet? Well, I think the easiest way, and we've mentioned it about 90 times in this uh, in this episode, so it's uh, no surprise to anybody. Hop on over to Facebook. Go to hop. Uh, hop. <laughs> Facebook.com slash groups slash no budget nightmares and uh, join in on the conversation. Yeah, join in, man. Go over to nobudgetpodcast.com. You can uh, sign up via iTunes or Stitcher to our feed so you can keep up on all No Budget Nightmares uh, upcoming episodes. Please do that. Leave us a comment and review on iTunes. You all would be doing us a favor. And if you're going to be a slacker and not join our uh, Patreon campaign, then you got to do something. you got to pull your right. keep. <laughs> pull your keep. I don't think that's how the expression is. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, and of course you can follow both Mo and myself on uh, Twitter. I am at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y, and Mo is at Drunk on VHS. All one word. That that is correct. Have I ever said my first, my own name first <laughs> when it comes to the? No, you, I was gonna say you usually do yours uh, <laughs> second, so that way we can make a big deal of the E Y. E-Y. E-Y. Mo, we're just about finished up here. Man, I can't believe we're going to watch fucking Fungicide. Uh, yeah. In, in terms of, of brighter days of watching movies, have you seen anything interesting lately? Uh, you know, not really. I've been watching a lot of riff tracks mm. lately. Um, so I've watched like, I think, five or six of the Harry Potter <laughs> riff tracks. Uh, I watched the first two X-Men movies with the riff tracks. I watched uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes riff tracks. You know, that's, that's really how I've been sort of entertaining myself lately. I'm not generally like a huge fan of riff tracks, uh, but I will say that if you're looking for a good one to watch, one that I enjoyed from beginning to end, the Buffalo Rider uh, riff tracks yeah. is... Um, Jill just yelled from the other room. She heard me say it. She watched it with me. Jill has never enjoyed anything I've enjoyed in my entire life. Uh, but she she had a really good time with it. And I think I, she was sick or I was sick or we were both sick. But somehow it really worked for both of us. I know you also watched Brad Neely's Wizard People, Dear Reader, or some of it. I watched uh, the first two chapters. Yeah, it, yeah. It, that's really very, something very else, funny. too. Uh, it's it's pretty fucking uh, crazy. I love I love how he calls Professor McGonagall uh, Professor Hardcastle McCormick. <laughs> uh, that's that's brilliant, brilliant right there. Uh, in terms of myself, I just recently, like on Saturday, just a few days ago, I recorded a four-hour fucking podcast. It has been a while since I've I've Good recorded Lord. one. I know uh, with uh, Duncan McClesh and um, Jeff X Martin and Jamie Jenkins. Uh, and we filmed a four-hour podcast on the entire filmography of John Carpenter. So, I mean, it's pretty much since the beginning of the year, all I've been doing when I'm not doing stuff for Daily Grindhouse or for No Budget Nightmares uh, is watch John Carpenter movies. So uh, we cover split into four different segments covering uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, and the rest. We covered his entire career. And it's really something else. It should be appearing soon. But I'll tell you, man, 
who the fuck is going to listen to a four hour podcast? I, I'm telling, I'm telling you right now, I'm not. I, you know, I, and and I like, and I like all four of you guys, uh, but I, there, there is no chance of me listening to four hours of you guys talking about John Carpenter. Do it, listen to it in segments. Maybe listen to it over a few yeah, days. Maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll listen to an hour at a time. I, I will whatever, say, but... I had a great time recording it, and it was, I, and it was an opportunity to catch up on a bunch of John Carpenter movies I hadn't seen, including. Uh, his Elvis movie from 1979, which, which was, I mean, it's three hours fucking long and it's not very good, but I know, you know, and and I know people probably get pissed at me saying that, but honestly, it's not very good, but it's still amazing, right? I mean, it's still amazing to see. Uh, and it, it was nice also to be able to revisit things like in the mouth of madness, which I hadn't seen for a while. And I'll tell you the most controversial moment of that. And I don't want to give too much away is has to do with our collective feelings about the ward. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and I, I do encourage people to check that out if they uh, get the opportunity. Movies, sure. we love them. Who doesn't? I've been promised that this episode will end with a new song by Rue about High 8. Did we have a song last week? We did not, unfortunately. Uh, but, or last time, no, I should say. Rue has been exceedingly busy, but uh, he's promised that he will be making his return. In fact, he yelled at me just a couple days ago about the fact that, how the fuck am I going to record a song about an anthology movie like this? And I said, just do it. For, just write eight for songs. Boy. <laughs> just write eight fucking songs, man. Yeah, that's right. What, what's the problem? Or do it as a mini opera. Yeah, do it as a do it as a as like a rock opera. Yeah, do it as like a mini. Do it like a quick one while he's away. Just do yeah. it, it. Except you're going to be doing it about high eight. What's yeah. what's wrong? What's so difficult about yeah. that? I wouldn't know. Yeah. High eight, can you see me? <laughs> so that's it. That's the entire episode. Look forward yes, to is. that song and look forward, you fucking ridiculous people, for fungicide coming soon from No Budget Nightmares. Yeah. Uh, also, check out my writing at dailygrindhouse.com. I should probably have mentioned that as well. <laughs> and, of course, you can also uh, check out my uh, YouTube Strange shows. vapes. Strange vapes. Yeah, where Mo reviews vapes. Odd like... and unusual flavor profiles for mm-hmm. electronic cigarette e-juices. Wow. You're, you're working on that pitch. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but until then, we say adieu. Mashed potato mountain, dead things at Coven's, Gordal Vengeance, Demon Kiss, Goblin Creep the Challenge, Red Lips, Vicious Kiss, Goth Shark, Exorcist, Sanguinary Desire, City of the Vampires, Truth or Dare, Hundred Tears, Chainsaw, Cheerleaders, Geek Warp, Killing Spree, Charlie and Sadie. Nightmare Asylum, the blood of another. Demolition Highway, Blood and Honor Scream Queen, the Pact, and the Violent New Breed Bewitch, Mutation, Rot, Mad Jack, and Bloody Tees Prehistoric Bimbos in the Armageddon City In the dance of on a death you find the babes from Sororities Destroyer, Casey Blender, Massacre, Mother Zombie, Ass Kicker, Day of the Reaper, The Final Splatter, The Shivers and Plager, Max Douche Drops a Deuce, Erotic Vampire, Evil Dead, Inbred, Rednecks, Yes Please, Teen 8, Goes to Kevin, Takes Down the Nazis! Hi, hate. 
independent eight, gonna raise your heart rate. Farmer Sheets, Saxon Koch, Maziello, Seaver Bonk, Ritter Hill, Huntington, Beach and Blake and Cronin, Cotting Chase, Barbara Crane, Farley Santarella, Dean, Wind Coop, Donahue, Mike Malloy and Dickie Two, Wind Star, West Mars, Nell, Swilly, Mark Sauter, Horror, Independent Eight, gonna raise your heart rate. Independent 8, gonna raise your heart rate.